0: Thank you, Greg and Tom. Well, I was going to say when I got up to say the announcements that I forgot, but just was reminded of. I, I would just love seeing Stacy and Isabella up here together, mother and daughter, and uh, singing together. It's so great. Thank you uh, to our whole worship team for leading us in worship. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're in the midst of a series through the book of Philippians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century, somewhere around 62, that uh, Paul wrote to this group of Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi. And uh, in chapter one, he talks about how uh, he is a servant of Christ Jesus, And and he writes to all the servants and saints in Philippi, and so we we have this uh, interesting balance of how we, as Jesus followers, are called to be servants. We are servants, and we are also saints. What saints are, are servants and as paul continues to write the letter he builds to this climactic uh, poem an ancient hymn that we looked at last sunday in philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 where where he says in your relationships with one another be like jesus in the way you think in the way you feel in the way you act be like jesus who was in the very nature of god but didn't consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage but instead became nothing. He emptied himself and became a servant all the way to the cross. Jesus, the ultimate servant. Uh, And we talked about the way God chose to display His glory was dying on a cross. This is the ultimate act of self-giving love. That what God looks like, if you ever wonder what does God look like you, you need look no further than Jesus on the cross. This is what God is like. In the midst of, of the Roman Empire, in the midst of world powers, in the midst of, of leaders, global leaders, when you look at what true power looks like, it looks like God dying on a cross for the sake of the world to restore us to himself and to redeem This broken world. And so Paul says in your relationships with one another, do that, look like that. And then he says in verse 12, this is where we're picking up, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Such an interesting phrase, isn't it? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Is Paul purporting some type of works-based righteousness here? Is Paul saying you, you have to work for your salvation? Didn't we have this whole Protestant thing that happened uh, in the 16th century where, um, or 17th century, where uh, Martin Luther was like, no, 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 that, that's not what this is, is all about. Uh, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's all about grace. So how can Paul say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? How is this possible? I'll let you think about that for a minute. Let's uh, start with the first part of the verse where, where Paul says, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. There's all kinds of uh, scholarship around this. Is Paul saying that they've been obedient to him, or or that they've been obedient to God? Because the Greek is is unclear there. So is he saying, you've been obedient when I'm with you and when I'm away to me and my directions to you, or uh, you've been obedient to God when I'm with you or when I'm away? Uh, And we don't know exactly what he's referring to, possibly both. because what Paul has done, he's imparted to these young Christians the way of Jesus. And he's continuing to impart that in this letter to them, that they are called to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus in this self-giving, servant-like, sacrificial way of love. And so uh, the, the danger that Paul has been pointing out is that uh, in the worldly systems, People strive for status, for position, for power, and Paul is not doing that. He's showing a different way to be in the world. Uh, There's all kinds of history of abuse by leaders in whatever area you look at, whether it's uh, political, corporate, family, uh, or spiritual. There's all kinds of spiritual leaders who have abused their power. And Paul is showing how to be a spiritual leader that doesn't abuse power. When Jesus came, the spiritual leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, were always abusing their power and and lording it over the people, obey, obey, obey. But uh, I, I think the word obey has gotten a bad rap in our culture, because in the biblical context, obedience is always about love and it's always about freedom. When God invites us to follow His way, just take the Ten Commandments, for example. We, we think of the word command as this restraining thing, but God gives us this way of living to free us. Don't have any other gods. Can you simply not worship other gods? Can you simply not worship other things? Can you simply not pursue other things instead of God? Uh, Don't kill. Can you just not kill each other? Uh, It it frees us. When we live not killing each other, it frees us to be more fully human. no adultery. Can, can you just stay in the one relationship that you've committed to? Can you not go outside of that relationship? Can you stay true to your spouse and not move beyond that? Just d- don't sleep around. Uh, it frees you to be the person God created you to be. Don't lie. When you speak truth, it frees you. When you lie, you're in bondage. Don't covet. Can you, just, can you be happy with what you have? Because when you're happy, when you're satisfied, when you have a theology of enough, I have enough. I have more than enough. When we practice gratitude for what we have rather than coveting that which we don't have, it frees us to be more fully human and the people God created us to be. So when Paul says, you've obeyed when I'm with you and when I'm away, whether it's to him or to God, it's yes. And it's freeing. And he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So before we talk about work out your salvation, let's talk a little bit about fear and trembling because this too can be a confusing thing because this whole phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if we read this wrongly, we're going to read it to say, be afraid of God and you better work for it. Uh, That is the danger in in reading this wrongly. Uh, When, uh, Actually, if I can look at the next uh, one more. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if we interpret that to mean be afraid of God, it, it doesn't jive with this text, does it? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if one text is saying there is no fear in love, but another text is saying continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what does that mean? And throughout the scriptures, there's this idea of fearing God and what it means in the scriptures, is a reverential awe. It's to be in awe of God and who God is. It's not to be afraid of God, it's to stand in awe of who God is. It's to stand in awe that this God came and dwelt among us in human form. It's to stand in awe that this God died on our behalf. It's to stand in awe that this God rose from the dead and conquered death and sin and brokenness and redeemed us to himself. It's to stand in awe of this creator God of the universe that created all things and when we uh, stare into the vastness of the cosmos to be in awe of this creator. When I was studying this, It perked in my uh, memory a couple of books that I read years ago by a guy named Scott Russell Sanders. And uh, one of them is called A Private History of Awe. And uh, he he says in A Private History of Awe, I sometimes wonder if all other animals, all plants, maybe even stars and rivers and rocks, dwell in steady awareness of God, while humans alone, afflicted with with self-consciousness, imagine ourselves apart, that, that all of creation is in awe of God, and so often we as humans set him apart. We just forget, We're so, we become so self-centered, so self-conscious, so uh, about our own issues and our own life that we forget that our very breath is gift. The very Spirit of God Moving through us giving us the breath of life its gift that every breath we take we should be in awe That that breath of life sustains us that that every beating of our heart It's a gift Every movement of blood through our system gift. It's all gift and we should be in awe of it perhaps uh, It could be said like this uh, Rumi says stay bewildered in God what, what if we were just constantly bewildered, like, oh my god, just bewildered in who God is and the beauty of all that sustains life in everything around us. So as I was scrolling through Private History of Awe, I then uh, was like, oh my goodness, I forgot how good these books are that I read by Scott Russell Sanders. So I, I started leaping through Hunting for Hope and came across this He says, no matter how clever our works, they will never satisfy this hunger, only direct experience of creation will do. The likeliest way to achieve contact with the life of the cosmos, the likeliest way to recover our senses is by shutting off our machines and closing our books, climbing out of our tunnels, our cars, our electrified boxes, walking beyond the pavement to actual dirt and rock and opening ourselves to the world we have not made. Too bad we don't live in an area of the country where we can do this kind of stuff on a regular basis, huh? Uh, His point is, if you want to experience more awe in your life, if you want to experience more wonder, get outside of the man-made stuff and get inside of the God-made stuff and experience the wonder of that which you have not created. Experience the wonder of that which the creator God of the universe has given us as gift, sheer gift. So, fear and trembling. It's awe, it's wonder, it's staying bewildered in God. So what does Paul mean when he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? It's always important to read in context we can't just pull this one verse out and wrestle with it because the next verse says for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so Paul which is it continue to work out your salvation for it is God who works in you which is it Is it me working out my salvation, or is it God in me working it out? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes. Uh, Here's the thing. The very breath of God is in you. The very spirit of God is moving through you. What is required of us is to wake up to the presence of God in us and say yes. Yes, I want to flow with that breath. I want to sing that same tune the Spirit is singing in me. I want to walk in step with what the Spirit is already doing in me. Uh, On one side, it's, um, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, it's it's trying to earn favor with God. On the other side, it, it could be this attitude of, it's all God. It's all God I have nothing to do with it it's all God Uh, when it's simply somewhere closer to the middle more towards all God because if God didn't give us that very breath of life to sustain us we would just cease to exist if God's love didn't continue to sustain us we would just cease to exist but the reality is God doesn't want to just do it by himself he invites us to partner with him. He invites us to join in this dance, in this movement, in this flow that is already going on from eternity past. God wants us to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And God's love would not be love if he just had us function as robots. He gives us the free will to say no. He gives us the capacity to say, no, I don't don't want to join in that dance. No, I don't want to uh, walk in step. With the spirit i want to do my own thing and then we're not living into what god has created us to do god is always inviting us into deeper union with him where we are more and more aware of god's presence in us and walking in step with what god has entrusted us with to do now something important to keep in mind Well, let's look at this verse that we already looked at uh, a few weeks ago. Paul has already said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion. And so it is God who has began this work. It is God who works in you. And it is God who invites you to work out your salvation with reverential awe, to join in the work. Now, when Paul says continue to work out your salvation, next slide. Uh, The your is plural. Another danger for us when we read this text, especially in a highly individualistic society, is that we think it's all about just me and God. Just me and God. And uh, uh, my own personal salvation and and my own personal responsibility to uh, do what God has called me to do, to, to work out this salvation with God working in, me Uh, paul uses the plural your and you it's what the the southerners would call y'all it's all of us together continue to work out your salvation this can't be done alone the way of jesus cannot be lived alone it must be done in community we must live this life together where we are sharing our struggles with each other, where we're sharing our hearts with each other, where we're encouraging one another in love, where we're building one another up and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. Continue to work out your, plural, salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you all together. Uh, When I was in seminary, I took an ethics class and the professor, he was the former dean of the seminary and he uh, came back in just to teach this ethics class. He was retired, but he would come. And it was like, he was a legend uh, in the seminary and everyone was like, you have to take ethics with Greer. You have to take ethics with Greer. So he came in one summer and did a two week, all day long, eight hours a day for two weeks on ethics. And so I took James Greer's class on ethics and he uh, shared, how when he uh, used to be a professor at the seminary and then later dean, how uh, a lot of times uh, seminary students would come to him and ask him to mentor them. And he, his response would be, okay, well, do you realize what you're asking? Because if you want me to mentor you, that means you open every area of your life to me. You tell me everything. And that means every time we meet, you bring your checkbook, You bring your credit card statement and we go over it together and we see how you're spending your money. He said, I didn't get a whole lot of takers. (laughs) Uh, What what if we did that (laughs) together as we work out our salvation together with fear and trembling? How how do you spend your money? Let's take a look at that credit card statement. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'll just leave that there. Uh, What's next? So, continue to work out your salvation. This means showing up. It, It is not, when it says it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose or uh, possibly better translated, good pleasure. It it is for God's pleasure and to fulfill His good purposes that He works in us and longs for us to work alongside Him in fulfilling His good pleasure and His good purposes. And so this is not a uh, Just, oh, God will do it. God will take care of it. This is God working in us, spurring us on to be a part of God's kingdom activity in the world with him. We're invited to be a part of this thing together as a community with God working in us as a community. Uh, It's only God. It's only God who can rescue you from sin but you have to say yes. It's only God who can rescue you from addiction, but you have to say yes. It's only God who can rescue your marriage, but there's two people who have to say yes. Uh, It's only God who can show up in the life of a first century church in Philippi and spur them on to love and good works, but they have to say yes. It's only God who can show up in a 21st century church in Marin County and spur us on towards love and good works, but it takes a community of people who are showing up and saying, yes. I want to be a part of that. Thank you, Tom. Anyone else? (laughs) It's only God who can show up and work in us to bring about his good pleasure, but we have to show up and say yes. We have to say yes. And that requires what Paul has already talked about. In your relationships with one another, be like Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage, but became nothing. It requires servant-like love. Saying yes is always saying, I surrender. Song we just sang. I surrender. It's not about me. It's about bringing God's beauty and love and glory into the world in brighter, more beautiful ways. It's about the community of faith spurring one another on and going out into the world and making the world a better place for the glory of God. It's about showing up and saying, yes. So. A text that is is quoted often in the world of Protestantism is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul is being very, very clear here. It's not works. You don't get your salvation through works. You can't earn your salvation. You can never earn favor with God. It just simply doesn't work because that's not who God is. God is a God of grace, a God of love, and His grace is what saves you. And so we quote this often, but uh, what doesn't often get quoted is the full context, which is the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul is saying, the good works you do, they will never save you. They don't earn you any favor with God, but you were made for it. You were made for it. And there's something in you that's dying if you don't live into it. And so the good works that we are created to do are never about guilt, never about duty, never about obligation. It's always about living into who God created you to be and so if you're doing things because you feel like you have to do them to earn favor with God or favor with others it's not what you were created for you were created to do those things out of joy and out of love and out of delight in who God has made you to be our good works are always because God made us to do good works and we get to do them not have to do them it's a big difference between get to and have to and we get to because god made us for something so much more than ourselves the story that god is writing is so much bigger than our own little stories all our little stories come together into god's big story to bring about God's good pleasure and the things God is doing in the world. Paul uh, uses this tension, this paradox of, of God's grace and working in another context as well when he's talking about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect No, I worked harder than all of them. So Paul's like, hey, look, all the apostles out there, all the preachers out there, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so again, Paul is emphasizing, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. And I lived into that grace and worked harder than anyone else. But it was all grace. It was all grace. It was all grace. And so, last slide. Uh, I think this becomes a matter of waking up and paying attention to the Spirit who is working in you. It is waking up and paying attention to the song the Spirit is playing in your soul and joining in. It is a matter of showing up and saying yes. It is all God, and it's also us showing up and saying yes. Uh, This morning, as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, as you take this piece of bread and you dip it in the cup, I simply invite you this morning to say yes. Yes, God. I'm saying yes. To the work of the spirit already alive in me so it was on the night that jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body given for you take it and eat it in remembrance of me and in the same way jesus took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood take it and drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Jesus accomplished everything on the cross he said it is finished he accomplished it all there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor But God is constantly inviting you to show up and say yes to what he's already doing within you. Will you say yes to God this morning? God, uh, thank you. Thank you for creating us. Thank you, God, that you are a God who works. You worked six days and then rested. And you created us and gave us the opportunity to work. placed the first humans in the garden and invited them to work it and take care of it. God, this morning I pray that we would show up and join you in the work you're already doing. God, make us a community that shines like a light in the darkness. Make us a people who are deeper in love with you and deeper in love with this world you created and extending your love to the world. God, uh, help us every morning to wake up and say yes. Every afternoon, to be more aware of your presence and say yes. Every evening, to say yes. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.